book of Matthew, chapter 23. Matthew 23, and Jesus didn't die to make Christianity one of the major religions of the world. And he didn't die for me and you to be religious. You know, one of the the definitions of religion is really a focus on the external. And religion is behavior-oriented. What does that mean? It's a bunch of do's and don'ts. Well, I don't believe that's what Jesus wants us to live by, a bunch of do's and don'ts. I believe he just wants us to enjoy the journey, and he's going to help us. So, through the scriptures today, I believe we're going to give each one of us a little insight today in his thought. Begin with me, Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The uh, scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Moses' seat of authority. And what they taught about was the Mosaic law. Verse 3. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and they don't do. The Amplified says, says they preach it, but they don't practice it. And so really what ends up happening is, They fail to follow their own precepts. They like to tell people what to do, but they didn't do it. Verse 4. For they bind what? Heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move with one of their fingers. So they have countless rules and countless uh, regulations. And really they've reduced the things of the Lord to a burden, and it ultimately leads to people being confused, but also I believe that it it, it leads us into bondage. We just stay in bondage, and this is what Jesus is addressing here. Verse 5, but all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries, and and that that was, guys, a, a small leather case that that had their scripture written on it, made them feel important. And so he says, they were highlighted with the broad and they enlarged the borders of their garments. And the borders he were talking about was these tassels that would hang off their their garments. And so really what they wanted was other people to make them think, man, they're really, really, really spiritual. Now look what Jesus ends with in verse 6 and 7. They love the best places at feasts. The best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, rabbi. And so they like to parade themselves in public. They also like places of prominence, but one of the big things, they like titles that signified superiority. I'm better than you. Now this was never Jesus' heart, and so in the next few verses, Jesus gives Eight specific denunciations. Actually, he calls them hypocrites over and over. Look with me in verse number 25 of this same chapter. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish. In other words, he's telling you cleanse what people see on the outside. Notice Jesus' next words, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. 
One translation says you are full of viruses and germs. And so here Jesus is saying, these guys look on the outside, but inside where it really counts, you're filthy. You're filthy. Now, in, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the scripture says that man looks at the outward or the appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so I believe each one of us need to understand this today, that, that it's not about how spiritual I look on the outside, but it's the things that begin to happen in my heart. It's not about titles, and it's not about who's who among this or that in the church. It's about my heart. Now, when, when uh, the Lord spoke through Samuel and said, man looks at outward appearance, but I look at the heart, this was when he chose King David to be the next king. And the Bible says King David was a man after God's own heart. But when you look at King David's life, he committed some crazy sin, guys. I mean, he did some things. So really, if you go back and look at that, he wasn't perfect. And God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does look at our hearts. So what does that tell me? When I make a mistake, when I sin, when I do things wrong, man, i got to repent. i got to get right with God. Keep reading here. Verse 26. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish that the outside of them may be clean also. So how does that happen? Well, when I let Jesus come on my heart, he begins to work on the inside of me. And when I live for him and allow him to do what he was sent to do, it'll start being manifested on the outside. You'll begin to see changes in people's lives. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you pretenders, for you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear or look beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness or wickedness. Now, when I read this, you can think about people maybe you've known in your own life. Over the years, Pastor and here, I've seen different forms of religion. I remember we had a guy that he liked titles. He wanted to be out in front of people. And that was his goal was always, I'm, I'm better than other people. We're not better than anybody, guys. And when you come across that way, you come across very religious. You know, this guy, he understood love. He just didn't think that, that love needed to be displayed. And so, therefore, he became very religious in people's eyes. Another guy we had... He, he used to sit way back there in this back corner. And one Sunday, I'm walking in, and he grabs me by the arm, just like that, real tight. And he said, it really, really bothers me what people are wearing to this church. And I said, well, explain that to me. And he said, well, I was brought up that you wear your Sunday best to church, and that's how you honor God. So I looked at him, and I said, what makes you think some of these people aren't wearing their Sunday best? How do you know that that's not the best they have? And then the second point I made to him is you said that you grew up, that, that you thought it, it's important that people wear their best. So to me, you know what that tells me? That was a conviction of your heart. 
Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe Jesus cares what label you wear on your clothes. I don't think he really cares. So this pacified him for about a month. I come walking in, then a month later, and he grabbed my arm. Now, hold on here, some of you. He grabbed me and he said, it really, really bothers me that people are coming here that have tattoos and piercings. So my response is, you know, how holy I am. I said, so do we need to send them to the first church of the tattoos? What do we need to do with them? Once again, his, his concerns was his conviction. As I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe God could care less. He doesn't care what we wear, how we look. You know, and many times some of the stuff we do in our lives, we do before we get born again. I knew a guy that before he got born again, he put some of the craziest tattoos on him. I mean, they had some, I mean, some vulgar stuff. And when he got born again, it bothered him. You know what he did? He went and had those lasered off of him. He said, Pastor, it was so painful. But he said, I didn't want to dishonor God. Does God care? I don't believe God cares. However, man cares. Man cares. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, I remember as a teenager, and this may shock you about my hair now, but as a teenager, I had really, really long hair. Really long hair. Some of you say, can I didn't even imagine that. It was true. But I remember applying for a job and I went in and the, the owner of the place looked at me and he said specifically, I'll never hire you because you're here. Well, that was his conviction. That was his business. And so you can understand this. God doesn't mind, but man will. And many times when you go in to apply for a job, I'm going to tell you right now, you will be discriminated against because things like that. Well, that's wrong. Wait a minute. Whether it's wrong or right in your eyes, that person owns that business. Now, this happened two or three days ago. It's amazing how ESPN teaches me things. I'm watching ESPN, and these two guys, they debate tattoos in the NFL and the NBA. They said this two years ago. The number one pick in the NFL draft, Cam Newton, and some of you could care less, like my wife. She's like, Cam who? But anyhow, Cam Newton, the number one pick, before he was selected, the owner of the Carolina Panthers called him and said, I want to ask you some questions. I'm contemplating making you my number one pick. He said, do you have any tattoos? And he said, no, sir, I don't. And he said, do you plan on getting any tattoos? And he said, no, sir, I don't. And he said, good, because I'm going to draft you number one. And we all look here and we say, that's not fair. But yet, once again, he owns that business. That's his decision. And he said this, basically, that you're going to be my CEO. You're going to be the face of our team. You're going to be the poster boy, and this is what I want. Does God care? No. God could care less how you do your hair. He could care less if you have it colored purple. He could, but man does. Now where are we going with this? Well, keep going with me. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I don't want to get caught up with outward things. It's just like I told the guy. I said, listen, buddy. You don't know their heart. You, you can't judge the book by the cover. 
And that's where we got to get away from. And that's one thing I really, really like about this church. We've ran off most of the religious. I, I hate to admit this as you're turning to Romans 3. But I daggered the guy. He left the church because of me, ultimately. And you know what it was? I came in here one Sunday purposely with my shirt tail out. That threw him over the edge right there. Threw it, it, it crushed him. And listen, guys, some of you say, well, I don't like it either. Well, number one, you don't buy my clothes, so don't worry about it. Number two, I change up all the time. I, you know, I, I try to relate to these young guys, and then I try to relate to you old guys, and then I try to, and before long, you know what, you're in a tug-of-war match, so that's why I dress differently all the time, to keep all of you happy. And I mean that in a loving way, I really do. My goal is never disrespect people, guys, but I want people to be welcome here. It doesn't bother me when you come in with your flip-flops. It doesn't bother me when people come in in their shorts. If you want to wear your Sunday best, is that your conviction? Tear it up. Wear your tux in here. I don't care. Just don't come in your mankinis, fellas. Romans chapter 3. We don't scar people. Let's get going before I get in trouble. Romans 3, verse 19. Now that we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world will, may, become, may become guilty before the Lord or held accountable before the Lord. Therefore, by the deeds of the law. Now that verse is transferred into John chapter 9, verse 4, for reference. And the deeds of the law are accomplishments, performances. That's what it was talking about here. That some people will only go by accomplishments and performances here. But he says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, how much? None. No flesh. No flesh. Zero. No flesh will be justified or made righteous in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So right here, when you begin to look at this, to be a Pharisee or a Sadducee, they had a whopping 613 different commands or things they had to do. 613! I don't do real well with five or six. But they had 613. And so their thought here was, your behavior or our behavior will make us righteous. It won't. And you cannot earn God's acceptance. That's not how it happens. And so he gets back here and says, no flesh. So what happens as human beings? We say this, and this may, this may highlight your life. If I just try harder. Or if I just do more good than bad in my life. Now you know the problem with both of those things I just said? They're centered around I. If I try harder. If I do more good than bad. I'm going to tell you guys, it's not about me. It's not about you. And that's what happens with religion. Listen, if I could have already figured out all my problems and set myself free, don't you think I would have? And so this is what he's getting at here. And so once again, he says right here, no flesh. No flesh. And the last part of that, he says, no flesh will be justified or made righteous in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So you know what the law does? It makes us very aware of our sin. How many of you have ever been very aware of your sin? 
And I get very aware of my sin. And this wasn't God's goal here. Now keep reading here with me, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God, apart or separate from the law, is revealed or being a test or witness by the law and the prophets. I know this is a bunch of words here and stuff, and sometimes it's not easy to understand. But I want you to think about something here. He said the rightness, uh, the righteousness separated. Separated from the law and the prophets. What does that mean? Well, if you think about the law, it's hard for us to ever fulfill it. When you go back and look in the Old Testament, when you study the prophets, what did the prophets always prophesy about? A coming Messiah. A coming Savior. So right here, according to this passage, the law and the prophets, you know what it says to me and you? i got to have a Savior. i got to have a Savior. I cannot accomplish this on my own. I can't do it. All through the Old Testament, they tried. They couldn't do it. Now, I can take you back into the Old Testament, specifically to Exodus 20. What's that? That's the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions or the Ten Multiple Choice. That's the Ten Commandments. Now, if we went back there and looked at the Ten Commandments today, we could all take a pen and we could check the ones we've broken. Some of us would say, I've broken a few of them. Some of us could say, we've broken every one of those. So why do you say that? Well, to bring that up right there, right, the, the Ten Commandments in itself says, this is law. This is what he says. But you know what? I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough to obey those. I've tried. You've tried. And so you know what it all comes down to? I need a Savior. How's that, Pastor? Well, let me ask you some questions this morning. You don't have to raise your hand. How many have ever told a lie? Then legally in the court of law, you're a liar. That hurts, Pastor. Have you ever told a lie? Yes, yes. How many have ever put something above God? Whether it's your time, whether it's your money, whether it's activities. See, if you have, you're an idolater, I-D-O-L, idolater. I've done that. How many have ever stolen anything? Pastor, you've stolen things. I've stolen things. That may be shocking to you. So you know what that ultimately makes me? A thief. So everything I've listed right here is, is dealing with sin and the law. But you know what? I don't like to do those things, but I keep doing those things. It's like the Apostle Paul said, the very thing I hate, that's what I do. And so when you look at the Ten Commandments, all this stuff that he's talking about here, you know what it says? We need a Savior. We need somebody to cover us. So this is where Jesus comes in here. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You need to look at that real good. How did he say the righteousness would come? By going to church. That's not what he said. By reading your Bible every day. No. He said it comes through Jesus Christ alone. The only way I can ever be made righteous through Jesus, I mean, to, 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 to God is through Jesus. 
Without Jesus, guys, I'll never accomplish that. And so he goes on to say here in verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Now, who did he say this would occur to? To all who have faith or believe in Jesus. You know what that tells me? It's all because of him. And he said to, who, to all, there is no difference. So what was he talking about there? The difference he was talking about was, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. What's the difference, pastor? Well, if you're not born Jewish, if you're not a Hebrew, then you're a Gentile. So there's no difference. Whether uncircumcised or circumcised, there's no difference whether you're a liar, a thief, or a cheater. He's the one who takes care of every one of our problems. It's only through him. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Now, keep reading with me. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some of you say, I hadn't sinned. Yeah, you have. All of us have sinned. I haven't sinned, Pastor. Well, we're going to pray for liars here in a minute. Because you've lied. All of us. See, and that's what I'm going to tell you guys right now. Every one of us has got to be that way. In God's eyes, we're all sinners. And, and we try to justify that and say, well, you know what? Jesse sins a lot more than me. That's not what he said. He said, all of us have sinned. Every one of us. So that puts us in the same category. Now look where he goes with this in, in verse 24. Being justified or declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Once again, guys, it's not about performance. And it's not about religion it's about Jesus. I am the righteousness of God through Christ. Actually, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He made him to be sin who knew no sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in Christ. How does that happen? I've been justified freely by Jesus. So we got to get away from this stuff. That I can earn salvation. I can, I can do all the things out of my own ability. If you look at verse 24, justification and redemption only come from Jesus. I've got to have a Savior. You've got to have a Savior. Now go with me to the book of uh, Luke chapter 18. I want, you, I want you to see something here. Luke chapter 18. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord that Jesus came. See, that's what God knew. He knew, man, he, we're never going to get it on our own. Now, this may be shocking to some of you, but Jesus paid the price for your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. You realize that? He knew every one of us were going to keep blowing it at times. And so the key is that I stay right with him. How do I stay right with him? I repent of my sin. I come before him and, and the blood of Jesus every time will cleanse me when I repent. Now in, in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I believe some of the condemnation that comes to us 
What is condemnation? It's, it's like someone's got a ball ping hammer just banging on your head all day. You're sorry. You're no good. God doesn't like you. Bad boy, bad boy, bad girl. Have you ever had that? Man, I've had that before in my life. I believe some of the forms of condemnation that the devil uses to come after us is a thing called religion. What do you mean? Well, in my own life, there were times that I would think, God's mad at me. These things are happening to me today because I didn't read 20 chapters of the New Testament. God, the, my, my day's bad today because, God, no, I didn't get up and pray. And is prayer good? Is reading your Bible good? Those are outstanding things. But I'm going to tell you right now, that is the form of religion that we think we're going to earn God's approval by reading our Bible. We're going to earn God's approval by, by praying. Those are good things, like I said. But this only comes from Jesus where I said, man, in him I live. Even as they sang today. You know, when I got born again, I said, Lord, just come on the inside of me. Come on the inside of me. And I believe this is one of the greatest things we can do every day. Is not only invite him to be Lord of our lives every day. But say, i got to have your help today. I need you today. And if you guys were here on Wednesday nights. You begin to hear the word transformation. That God wants to transform us. But that's a process. We start walking out. And you know what God starts doing? He starts chipping a little off at you a time. A little off at you a time. A little off at a time. A little. And I just keep hanging out with God. And when I mess up, I repent. And then I just fellowship with God. And he keeps working on the inside. And things begin to happen. Now, in my own life, guys, I got to experience some things just the last few days. I had to run back to Oklahoma to a funeral. And you know what? I see more and more people. People don't need religion. They just need people to love them and encourage them. And so uh, my aunt died. And so my uncle, he's almost 80 years old. And a month ago, in all this process with my aunt, he gets born again. He gets water baptized. I promise, guys, when I saw him, his whole countenance has changed. He got the love of God on him. He's a different man. And so... I get to his house on Friday night, and they said, hey, no one's staying with him tonight. He hadn't been alone. Would you stay? And I said, I'd love to stay here with him. So everybody leaves, and he really opens up to me. Not to religion, just to the love of God. And so I get to stay there right there, and he asked me, he said, would you please pray for me? He said, man, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And I said, how have you been sleeping lately? And he said, I'm not sleeping. He said, I wake up at 3 in the morning and I'm up. And I said, well, you know what? I'm not only going to pray that God's going to help you get through this. I'm going to lay hands on you. I said, that's okay in the name of Jesus. And he said, yeah. And I said, we're going to believe, God, that you're going to sleep well tonight. So I laid hands on my uncle right there. And he began to weep and it wasn't some hallelujah, Father God. You know, it was just the love of God. I mean, so many times we, you know, we get our tassels out and our religious look and our religious, bless the Lord. You know, I wonder why people want to say, shut up. He gets up the next morning, guys, and he said, that's the best I've slept in I don't know how many weeks. And I said, that's just the love of God. And so he grabs my hand and he said to me, he said, I need you to pray for me today. He said, I'm going to have a hard time getting through this service today. And he said... I don't want to cry. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, you need to cry. That's part of the grief process. To release that out of you. 
Well, you know what happens is men, we're told big boys don't cry. Whoever wrote that song, they lied. Because what happens when big boys, when we don't cry, ultimately it's going to come back around in your life. And when it hits, it's not good. I encouraged him to cry. I encouraged with the love of God. You know what I said to him? I said, I cry all the time. So really what I'm saying is I'm going to give you permission to cry. So we pray for him. About that time, this cousin of mine who I've never seen in my life, his name is Duke. Now if your name's Duke, you look like Goliath. Duke comes walking in, all six, seven, and 300 pounds of Duke. And Duke is a whiskey-drinking machine. And we start the love of God on him, and I'm telling you, he begins to weep and everything, and he makes a huge mistake. He tells my five-foot mama he wants her to pray for him. And when he said that, I thought, oh, my God. You know what that means to my mom? Sick him. So Duke is sitting in the chair, and my mom's still not taller than him, and she's standing up. And she'd go into town in the name of just laying hands on him and everything, and then he would kind of look at her, and then she would love him. She'd kiss his little, Duke, God loves you. God. Duke ends up basically giving his heart to Jesus right there. And so you go back there, and you understand People don't want religion. They just want you to love them. You know what I found out about human beings? We've all sinned. We know we've sinned. I remember when I was a good sinner. I knew I was a good. You didn't have to tell me you're a sinner, boy. You're a sinner. I knew that. Let me give you one more illustration of what happened back there. And, and this will help you. There's a guy there who's in his 70s. And he looks at me and he says, now what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm in the ministry. I'm a pastor. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. And so they start talking about their funerals. And he said, when I die, they're going to bear me up just like this. And I'm going to have my middle finger pointing up. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to throw you guys the finger. I've done that before. My wife says, you can't do that. So he says that, and when he says it, he looks at me and goes, oh, I'm sorry. And you know what I said? You know what? You don't have to tell me you're sorry. God loves you. God loves you. And I want to say, I can't save you. God loves you. And so he just carries on. And so the thing is with us in life, we've got to understand, people don't want religion. They want us to love them. Now look here in, in, in Luke chapter 18. Verse number 9. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Some who trusted in themselves. Now, you know what somebody who trusts in themselves says? They try to compare themselves to everybody else. I'm, I'm better than Joe Duran. You know why? I go to Tuesday night prayer. Big deal. I'm, I'm better than Raul because I read my Bible. I, and so this is what he's talking about right here. So many times we try to justify ourselves by how spiritual we are. So look what he goes on to say here. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. 
two men went up to the temple to pray. Now get this. These two guys, they go up to the temple. They go to the church. And what is their, their mission for going to church? They're going to pray. Now you're going to see two guys who went to pray, but two guys with two totally different motives. Keep reading. One, a Pharisee, high status. And the other, a tax collector, someone who was despised. Now, Jesus right here, he uses a great contrast here. He uses this Pharisee who's extremely religious, and he used this tax collector. Now, the tax collector guys, in their time, they were viewed as the scum of the earth. Actually, they were categorized the same as a murderer. So this is what you, both of them went to pray, though. Remember, they both went to church. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Wow. Wow. Now one thing he forgets right here. That every other man God created. God created every one of us. And so when I have that mentality, or like he did, you know what I'm saying to God? It's a slap to his face and saying, I don't approve of all these other people you created because I'm so holy. I'm so righteous. Look where he keeps going with this. I thank you that I'm not other like me, other men, extortioners, unjust, and even adulterers. If you want to do a true study of these guys called Pharisees, actually, when they prayed, they prayed also for two other things. They prayed that they weren't like the Gentiles. Thank you, Father God, I'm not like those Gentiles. And the second thing they would pray, I thank you, Father God, that I'm not a woman. That's what they prayed. I, and so I looked at this religious thought and I think, who do these guys think they are? But this is how they are. And so he doesn't stop there. He lists all these things and then he comes up and says, even this tax collector, this no good for nothing, low down tax collector. Now, what you begin to see here with religion is it's toxic. It's a poison. It's a disease. People don't like to hear it. They don't like to see it. And that's why I say, I thank God for this church. I thank God you just come in here and be yourself. Now look where this goes here, guys. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. This is the voice of religion. And he begins to voice his credentials. And he said, I, I, I. Look how great... Listen, guys, I can't do nothing for I. It's all because Jesus, and, and I can pray, I can fast, I can... Are those things good things? Those are all great things to do. But when you think that's how you gain access or you earn God's heart, that ain't how it is. And all, not only that, it turns people off. Verse number 13. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes. He wouldn't even lift his head to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
He understood he was a sinner. And you can, you can pick up, he's remorseful. He senses his own guilt and his own pain. And he says, Father God, forgive me. Now, New Testament, this goes back to 1 Peter 5, that God gives grace to the humble. Part of humility is what I can do just like this guy did. I can stand before God and say, Father God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. But when I come in with that pride, it says he resists the prideful, the arrogance. You know, when I look around here and I think, we're all sinners. It's covered by the blood of the Lamb. All doing life together. All ought to celebrate each other. And Jesus literally shocks and stuns the listeners in verse 14. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. You know why it shocks people? Because we look to the religious ones. I've been in the church for 33 years. Well, so? Do you walk in love? Do you live for Jesus? Do you, do you realize that you're a sinner still? Or I can get over like him and he says this to end with, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, it comes down to this, guys. It's not about how good I am, how bad I am. It's about how I learned to live for Jesus. And so in my own life, guys, I had a lot of sin. And this robe here that I'm going to put on, this, this, this plays all our lives. This is how we look. And you see, this thing is pretty ratty. Pretty bad looking. It's kind of filthy. It's got all the holes in it. And this is how we look. We go through life like this. Just filthy. And when we receive Jesus, he comes into our life. And he washes all this filth off of us. And he says, you know what? I'm going to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then not only does he do that, and he covers his net, then he puts on this robe. Now, this is really impressive. I stole it from the faith closet this morning. So I'm a thief. How do you like this? This represents the blood of Jesus. It's spotless. It's white. And so Jesus says, not only do I want to cleanse you from all our... I want to put the robe of righteousness on you. I want to cover you. And what I found out about the robe of righteousness, I can't earn it. And I really don't deserve it. But it's a free gift. And so when you give your heart to Jesus, he puts this robe on you. And when Father God looks at us, you know what he sees? We're white as snow. We're spotless. The blood of Jesus. And I don't care how long you've been born again. I don't care how long you served him. This is how we see, we're seen in God's eyes. But this is how we need to see ourselves now. I got to get this off because I told the ones in the first service. I'll kill you. You put this on Facebook. You take a picture of me. Just kidding. You see it gives you an idea right there. You know, so many times in life we walk through and we beat ourselves up. And we think we're so unworthy. And in a sense, I am unworthy. But listen, Jesus paid that price. 
That's why. It's not about the good works I do or don't. See, guys, I can't earn access to heaven by good works. It's not how it happens. It only comes by receiving Jesus and then allowing him just to keep living in me and keep living in me and keep living in me. And I think that's why it's so important that every day we work and we welcome him. But every day we say, thank you, Lord Jesus. I keep my heart right with you. I put on the robe of righteousness every day. You know, years ago, I'd sing this song. and I still sing it over myself periodically. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm a brand new creation in him. I'm a partaker of his divine nature on me. He will not impute sin. And I love to say that. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. It's not because what I've done. or I am the righteousness of God in Christ, through Christ, because what he's done. And that's where every one of us got to begin to understand. He doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care your past. But he does care about your future. Stand up with me here today.